0: We saw a lot from the NFL and I can't wait. Some of the research comes out, the lack of preseason training, the lack of offseason training, there was substantially more injuries, non-contact soft tissue injuries, Achilles, hamstring tears. than there have been, I think the only time it was close to these levels was the lockout period, I think in 2011, which had a shortened preseason and training. So, you know, understanding that, you know, if we don't have enough preseason training for athletes in a sport, you know, combat sport, like football, you know, is very detrimental.
1: Hi, welcome to the Halftime Snacks. My name is Ronen Aimbinder. This show features the stories of talented people working in sports. Are you ready? Let's go. Joining me? now is probably one of the most athletic guests we've ever had on the halftime snacks. He's the director of performance at Spire Institute in Ohio, where they develop and implement performance training to increase the athletic abilities from academy students to Olympic athletes. Spire performance is one of the largest performance training centers in the US. This man's role is to educate and prepare athletes with both theory and practice. He also brings a lot of technology to the mix as he uses data, functional movement screens, biometrics, and video analysis to the training. It's a pleasure to host such a superstar of the training and performance side of sports, ladies and gentlemen, John Wallace.
0: Thanks Ron, nice to be on.
1: Man, I've been looking forward for this conversation for a while. And I want to start off our conversation by talking about how, how you ended up where you are right now. So I want to know if there's any moment in your life, that made you realize that you wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach? Or if you thought you were going to end up doing this and then you switched? Or how how exactly did you get where you are today?
0: Yeah, so I actually, when I first got into college, um, I played soccer at Cleveland State. So I've been an athlete my whole life. High school, I played soccer, basketball, baseball, ran track. Um, My dad played basketball in college. My sister, she ran track for the University of Hawaii. My brother wrestled, so I've been been around sports my whole life, uh, but I actually went uh, for the first two years of my undergrad for civil engineering. I've always been one that likes woodworking, sort of tinkering on projects and building things. and I mean, I, I did enjoy engineering, but it was a little more of a uh, struggle for me grade wise. I was able to you know get by, but you know the amount of effort I had to do to put into it and you know sort of seeing it as something that I wasn't as passionate about. You know, two years in, I was trying to figure out, you know, is this something I see myself really doing for the next 30, 40 years? Uh, Luckily, we, uh, our soccer team, started working with our strength and conditioning coach, who uh, at the time when I was at Cleveland State was Derek Millinder, and he's actually uh, been the head strength coach for the Cleveland Cavaliers for some time now. So he was a very good first fit for me to sort of see what strength conditioning was. And, I mean, it had an impact on me as, as an athlete. And through a sort of discussion with him, you know, found out what degree you go into and sort of how you get into that field. So I, I transferred my majors to exercise science and, you know, found myself paying attention in class, really enjoying the three-hour lectures. Uh, and I think I found the right fit for me, especially with sort of my athletic background. Um, sort of say I'm a decathlete of or sports. I was never really great at one sport, but pretty decent at a lot of sports. So I think it's something that, you know, allows me as a uh, sports performance coach or strength conditioning coach to Uh, understand the sort of physical demands and the uh, training principles that we need to sort of hit for each sport so it's something that I'm very glad that I switched to it Uh, it's it's a very competitive field and one that you have very long hours and days but I mean it's something I thoroughly enjoy and if if I find myself reading articles and reading up on stuff outside of work I think it's something that uh, I found a, a career that I'm passionate about so not mad for going into civil engineering because I think a lot of the, uh, the principles, the physics, the kinesiology sort of, you know, clicks with what we do, but uh, I'm very glad I sort of found a field and it, it's very enjoyable to see whether I'm working with a youth athlete to an elite athlete to see, you know, the gains in the athleticism translate to their, you know, the court, the field, the pitch, you know, whatever sport they're doing and how that can have a positive impact on their, their abilities.
1: I think we're going to talk more about how the structure of the training structures an, an athlete itself, but we'll leave that for later because that's the that's the meat side of the conversation. But I want to know as as a director of performance and training in one of the most important institutes of training in the US, I wonder what are some of the daily challenges that you face and how do you solve them or what's your uh, role or how your day-to-day looks like? Can you share with us a, a little bit of your experience as a performance Director in there?
0: I'd like to say our challenges are probably similar to most, you know, sports performance coaches out there, you know, whether in the collegiate realm, professional realm. We have different sports, and currently our, our academy for our high school and postgrads are swimming and diving, track and field, and basketball. And they're all, you know, three completely different sports in terms of their movement patterns, um, their training principles, and even their, their sort of seasonal um, competition schedule. So, uh covid has been very fun this year also i thrown a wrench in terms of scheduling so basketball is one especially from our academy model that our athletes will pick up games you know at the drop of a hat we'll have you know a game planned on monday and all of a sudden they'll pick up a game thursday friday saturday so that sort of throws a wrench into you know what i had planned for those athletes in terms of their training um so it's something as you know performance coaches we got to be very 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 flexible i mean we we plan, we try to prioritize their training, get everything set in place. But, you know, sports that have things that pop up and change, you know, an athlete gets injured or, you know, maybe this athlete played a ton more minutes than the previous game. You know, how can we best fit the training for that athlete uh, at that time where, you know, sports that are a little more linear, we like to say, are sort of consistent with their competitions and even the importance of their competitions, we can sort of plan out more, we call them blocks, but consecutive phases of training that sort of meld into each other it's a nice bevy that we sort of have with our swimming and diving that has their competitions track has been a little more variable this year, just based on, you know, meets coming and going. Uh, we're actually hosting next week, the big 10 indoor track and field championship. And I have the fun ability of trying to schedule in the uh, strength coaches and their athletes. They get access to our weight room. And, you know, usually it's still something I got to schedule in. So we make sure we don't have too many athletes, you know, just utilizing the racks, but now with COVID, we got to make sure we have enough distancing. Um, you know, teams can't be in there at the same time. So you know, those are your, your typical headaches that come from, you know, scheduling. And again, luckily we don't have, you know, a huge volume right now with our academy. But when I was at uh, Cleveland State as a GA, there's 17 teams that we had for only two weight rooms. And one of them was pretty much just a basketball inclusive weight room. So the ability to schedule 16 teams in one weight room, uh, you know, make sure that, you know, everyone gets utilized the same ability at the weight room, you know, a lot of times those are issues as well. So, you know, being flexible is very important and understanding that what we learn in school, the sort of theory, that's the the sort of masterful side of the coaching side is that, you know, we we understand these principles, but every coach has to be able to implement those systems to, you know, what is the equipment they have, what's the space that they have, you know, number of staff members, and it's something that we're sort of getting to that point right now with our interns that we have is, you um, you know, going through this theoretical model with them. And I sort of give them these projects and prompts and they build up these workouts and I'm like, okay. And I sort of throw a wrench in it. You only have, you know, 45 minutes and it's before practice. So is that going to change anything that you're doing in terms of your programming? So, you know, little things like that, that, um, again, I I think the best coaches out there, you know, everyone in this field, you know, is passionate about it, and you know has a very good understanding of the uh, physiology. But you know, I think the best ones are the ones that can get the best out of the athletes. Um, I, I liken it to, I don't know if you I'm a big fan of cooking shows, but Beat Bobby Flay. Um, he's a U.S. chef and was a uh, Iron Chef, and he's got a show where he challenges people to come in. Two chefs go up against each other, and then the winner of that one gets to go up against him. And whoever goes up against him, they come there with their own dish. Bobby has no idea what the dish is and they only have 45 minutes to cook it and a good portion of the time, Bobby still wins, not even knowing what the dish is. And I think that's a good sign of a, you know, good coach or a good professional is, you know, they can make the best out of what they have limited time, limited resources. And, um, you know, that's something that I think throughout the years being here, seeing how this Academy um, model goes and how sometimes the, uh, the game schedule or a competition schedule can drop on, um, just drop like that. Uh, being able to be flexible and you know still provide the best that you can for the athletes, so that they're you know performing optimally, and that's a big thing with us too because we are an academy. You know our athletes are coming here to you know hopefully get a scholarship or go on and play at the next level. So you know in college you'll have athletes you know three, four, five years. A lot of times I only have athletes for one year, so you know we got to maximize that potential and also. You know, make sure they're playing at their optimum at any time because they don't know when a coach is going to be there, you know, recruiting him at a certain tournament.
1: I wonder how much is it relevant for you guys to get involved in an in athlete's life in terms of how much you track, how much they sleep, uh, their diet, their uh, time in the training room, their time in the, in the gym. Is there a specific ratio that you can tell us about or... Uh, how exactly do you guys track and manage a specific athlete's complete schedule or everything that because I guess that most of the, the people that train with you guys at least at, on, on the most professional level, the sport is their life. So they are there to get the best the best treatment, so to say, to become the best athlete. So I wonder I want to know what's the approach taken uh, at least from your perspective in all the other aspects in life besides, Uh, probably like just training in uh, the specific sport?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, essentially you look at stress and recovery. Um, There's a lot of research by Dr. Tim Gabbett. He has an acute to chronic workload, which essentially looks at your short-term stress, your acute stress, and then your long-time stress, your chronic workload. And, you know, making sure that as we're training our athletes, if that short-term, that acute workload grows too fast compared to what our chronic is, you know, you can start to fatigue out athletes or overtrain them and you know even if it's not a problem with the training load if the athletes aren't recovering properly you know you could have dosed in an appropriate amount of increase in training and if they're just not recovering properly whether it's you know they're lacking sleep there's um stress because it's final exam week um social issues they broke up with a boyfriend or girlfriend they're not sleeping great at night they're staying up late um listening to sappy love songs uh you know all these things can you know affect how their body adapts to the training so you know, currently we do wellness surveys uh, with the athletes that are simple just google forms or we've been playing around with some other um, samples from some different providers looking at their platform and you know the biggest thing with that is you know are the athletes consistent with it you know are they honest with it and that's a big thing is getting that uh, rapport with your athletes and you know them understanding you know we can have all the knowledge in the world but if they don't know that this stuff is meaningful and worthwhile, you know, there may not be as consistent with that data. So uh, a big thing is pushing it to them. And then also, you know, you know, we can collect all this stuff and, you know, I I love research and love all this stuff, but if it's not meaningful data, if we don't do anything actionable with it, we're just collecting stuff to collect stuff. So the big thing is getting a buy-in from, you know, the athletes, the coaches understanding too, that, Hey, you know, your athletes are training this much on, you know, the court or on the track or in the pool you know, swimming nine times a week, doing med balls two or three times a week, lifting three times a week. That's a lot of stuff. You know, even though your athletes are doing a good job sleeping eight, nine, you know, sometimes 10 hours a day on the weekends, and they're implementing pretty good sound nutritional, um, um, habits, you know, they're still looking like they're fatiguing out. So maybe we got to look into the programming, you know, maybe what can we take away? What things do we not want to take away so that we can still maximize their development versus, you know, some of my other teams, uh, You know, we're not doing that much and they're still not recovering. Well, you guys are staying up and playing Fortnite till 2 30 in the morning. It's not a matter of what we're doing. It's how you guys are recovering. So that's a big thing with, um, you know, especially with our youth athletes, not that it isn't very important with our elite athletes, um, you know, professional teams. Luckily, I'm in house here at Spire. I don't really travel much um, with our teams. Our basketball team just left uh, yesterday to go to IMG, both our high school and post grads for um, one of their big tournaments at the end of the year. And even little things like that with elite athletics is, you know, planning when you're traveling, uh, when you're going to get up, if you're flying to different time zones. So thinking about those things to optimize even the performance at that time. So, I mean, technology is is very, very big coming into sports science. And I think we're sort of fortunate that we haven't dove into anything, you know, really big yet because the products continue to improve um, yearly and so the fact that they're, one, getting less in cost, two, getting more efficient, and then you're able to make a lot more out of just one product where they're starting to sort of um, work together cohesively.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you guys are very dynamic in terms of the preparation of an, an athlete. You're very personal with each one. like Each one is a very particular case, and you're going to treat them differently. And I wonder that that's why you mentioned that. If you're starting to see that uh, an athlete is degrading its performance, it might be because he's training too much or he's not maybe getting the, enough recovery or maybe he's he's not e- eating the necessary things. So I, what I understand is that it's mostly dynamic. You track it as you go. You kind of have conversations with the more personal trainers and you kind of try to figure out what can they do to be better. And I think that's great, uh, John. And also in that side, I want to ask you, what are some of the, like, factors, specific things that separate the good and the great athletes? What makes an athlete that trains at the higher level great?
0: Yeah, I mean, we've been fortunate to have a couple Olympic athletes. I mean, gold medalists come through here. We have, I want to say, five or six right now that are training to try to get to trials um, for the U.S. in their respective sports uh, coming up here soon. And really, I mean, the biggest thing is I'd like to say their character Um not that I mean any of the athletes I have are bad, bad you know people, but the the character of athletes that are at that level. I mean, to get to that level, you've had to go through a lot. You've had to go through adversity. Um, I mean, they've all had a ton of different coaches, different coaching styles, and I would say the their their effort, their ethic, their intensity, uh, and their ability to be coachable. Um, you know, it, you see that, and I don't think it's a matter of what sport those athletes are coming from. You no, know, if they're getting to that level, they they've obviously you know, put in the work, but probably have been surrounded by very good individuals, but their, their generalized character, their ability to you know come in day in and day out and sort of have that professionalism and every side of things. So not just the, the training in the weight room, but the recovery, the nutrition and, you know, doing the little things that are going to separate them. And I mean, that's why they are elite because at the elite level, just, you know, a small little thing can make that difference. So that's something that, uh, you know, generally I've seen, which is nice because we do have the ability sometimes for our athletes to, um, our, our youth athletes and even our academy athletes will train sometimes, not in the same programming, but they may train up here when we have some of our other elite athletes in here. Um, we had uh, Katerina Stefanidi; she's a Greek pole vaulter who's been training out here for the past, I want to say, five or six years. She was training here before she won uh, gold at the last Olympics, and you know, fairly athletic individuals you see your training up here, but you know, no one really knows too much about track from a lot of our other sports that are training here. And she'd be up here training and you know a lot of people would be asking oh who is that well just to pool Walter and stuff and they'd find out who she was and i mean she's very very good with the individual she you know have no problem talking with uh, some of the youth athletes and taking pictures and you know she's a perfect example of just the the sort of character that um those athletes sort of personify as um you know everyone's a person even you know celebrities elite athletes and i, I think that's a big thing that is good for some of our younger athletes to see is just how know the athletes sort of carry themselves you sort of think of them just as robotic creatures that just train 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 and i like them to think of the russian and rocky you know that's what you see and i mean they're they're people just like anyone else and you know generally when you get to meet them and see them you understand that you know they still have their own characters and you know personalities but when it comes time to train i mean they they get after it and uh that's i'd say one of the the differences i've seen from the athletes that make it far in their sports and even you know if you don't make it that far in your sport it's it's something that will carry on to your professional life as well
1: would you say it's more of a mindset that you have to adopt rather than having uh let's say a skill or a specific talent around a sport how much would you say It's it's the balance between having mental toughness, you know, being resilient, being able to deal with adversity and with risk and with challenge. And how much of it is really just dedicating your life to training and having the skill and being elite at that level?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's individual and the athlete and the sport as well. I mean, you have athletes that, you know, just exude confidence and, you know, they perform their best when there's the best con- or level. I think that's athletes that have a high arousal. if I remember my uh, psychology classes, but uh, we're fortunate to have a uh, sports psychologist on staff that comes out and works with our athletes. And he, he even sort of, just like we do in performance, um, you know, melds the programming specific to teams, but also specific to individuals. And that's something that you know at the elite level you're a basketball player and you know you shoot 90 percent free throws in practice but you know you're shooting 72 percent in the games so what's the difference you know obviously it's not a matter of your shooting skill it's something you know mentally that you lose focus you lose confidence you know so how can we do some building exercises with that so i mean they work with our mental skills coach on you know developing training plans and developing ways to you know create stuff that's individualized for what they need you know, another sport, I'll go back to pole vaulting and, you know, say, you know, you miss your opening mark and you missed the second time. And this is an easy, you know, mark that you hit all the time. Now you're starting to go through things and switch up in your head that you might need to switch your technique. So, um, luckily I played soccer and it's one that I don't think there's, uh, individuality. I think some of the the sports where you're out there competing by yourself, you need to have so much more, uh, robustness in your mental fortitude. Sometimes when, you know, I was out there playing, you just sort of get it in the zone. You just, flow with the game. So that's something that, you know, luckily we have in our sort of sports performance hub. We have, you know, myself with strength conditioning. We have our athletic trainers that, you know, help with any injuries that we see and also work with us in terms of the rehab. We have physical therapists on site. You know, if something goes beyond athletic training, they need to see a therapist. But then we also have mental skills that's under our sports performance hub. So we're sort of hitting it from all sides. So even athletes that aren't injured are still doing some, you know, corrective programming or stuff based on their movement faults to stay ahead of things. And even athletes that, you know, don't have a weakness, so to say in their mental skills, you know, everyone gets certain training, then we can sort of bias each area to where, you know, through our testing, you know, athletic testing, um, you know, the mental skill of coaching, talking with their sports specific coaches where they may need more emphasis. You know, that's the nice thing about our, our academy and institute is we can bias, you know, what athlete needs more of what area of performance to see better training or, or better, um, transfer of their, um, performance on the court field pool, you know, whatever sport they're playing. That's,
1: that's very, very interesting, John. Um, I wonder, I've been thinking about this a while and I'm sure that you can give me a very, a complete answer, but I wonder how much of a difference it makes, for instance, for an athlete that was going to participate in the Olympics in, uh, 2020 and then it got moved because of COVID. So they move their their uh, schedule or their plan as you were mentioned, how the, the short term and the long term are two different things when it comes to uh, preparing yourself. I guess that an athlete and more like an athlete a coach can know when is the day exactly the day that the athlete is going to be at its peak in terms of performance. So I wonder how, how much of a difference it made for athletes that were preparing, themselves for the Olympics to move it a year. And also because I guess that it, it for a human body, it's not the same thing, you know, as being 18 years old and being 19 in terms of like how your body is developing, how you're growing, how, how your metabolism works, how uh, your genetics are made. So I wonder if it makes a big difference that they were moved for a year. And if so, how? And if so, would you say, and this is just a personal question, would you say that it's going to be a little bit unfair for some of the athletes that were ready to go in 2020 and then now they have a bigger challenge or maybe a disadvantage because they couldn't take advantage of the advantage in in 2020 so would that be a disadvantage in 2021 and if so would you consider the 2021 olympics to be the year with the asterisks that doesn't really yeah. count so what do you think about that
0: yeah. I mean, it's, it's unique. Uh, I mean, if you go to individual sports versus team sports, I mean, so to say soccer, um, if you're, you know, a team that's trying to pick your, your team coming into it, well, now you have an extra year to, you know, try to build up and build that culture and find out what athletes you want. Say you're, you know, a senior athlete that's, you know, gone to two or three Olympics in you know, an individual sport, you know, track or swimming or something like that. And, you know, you're starting to age a little bit, you know, that extra year, you, know, you may have been peaked ready to go and think this is your last olympics now you have to hold on to those physical abilities for a whole another year where you know on the other end of it you could be a young up-and-coming youth athlete you know just fresh out of college or even out of high school and that extra year of physical development may help you be able to now um you know for usa like track and swimming we're very gifted to have a lot of athletes that have their a standards which is minimum qualifying numbers to get to the olympics but because of that, you know, you have to go to trials and they only allow so many athletes from our um, nation to represent them at the Olympics because, you know, if they didn't, we'd have so many athletes. So that can be a positive for some sports and some sports not so much. And I think it's, it's just individual. And a big thing we've seen, we've had a couple of athletes that have actually trained out of the National Training Center um, in Chula Vista and because during COVID uh, California shut down completely. So they shut down that training center. So we actually had a couple of athletes come out here because we want to sort of out the middle of nowhere in Ohio. So our positivity rates were supremely low compared to other you know places in Ohio, but even compared to the rest of the country. So, you know, that's a big thing too, is, you know, where were athletes that were able to train at our national governing bodies, you know, if those shut down, okay, where do you train? And if it's a sport that doesn't have a lot of you know funding or these athletes are, developmental so they're not sponsored by you know Nike or Adidas or they're not you know really getting money on a professional circuit yet how do these athletes train at a high level which you have to pay for coaching when you can't go to you know the places where you train so I think I mean it's going to be interesting to see how this Olympic comes up uh we've been seeing some in swimming and track though even through indoors for uh swimming and um you know Caleb Dressel's been breaking records left and right the past couple months uh you know I think there may be some some positives with that with some of the individual sports, but also it'll be interesting to see with the team sports, you know, how much were they able to still play, um, you know, soccer leagues, football leagues, you know, games have been canceled here and there. So it may be hard for teams to have that typical consistency and build that um, sort of cohesiveness within the team. So, I mean, I'm not sure really how to answer that. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be very interesting. I think you might see some really big surprises and also like in the positive realm, but also in the negative. So, I mean, I'm hoping that all the athletes that you know have found the opportunity to train have been able to maximize it because it's it's been difficult, especially depending on you know what country you've been from, you know where the training's been, what's been shut down.
1: Yeah, and would you say it's it's still a fair competition because all of all like all of the athletes had the same opportunity to train, or would you say it doesn't really count because of how you know people train their whole lives to and they were thinking about you know aiming for 2020. And now it's 2021, and it probably wouldn't sound so much, but in, I feel like in a body, in an athlete's body, it's a completely different story. So, what's your take on that?
0: I think, I mean, for still them getting there, I mean, that's the Olympics for most sport is the you know epitome of the highest competition and the most pre- prestigious you know place you can be in terms of represent your sport and your nation. So. I don't want to say that this Olympics would be an asterisk because it's, I don't think fair to say for the athletes that have trained really hard and are going to get to go there. Um, I, I think it's just going to be a unique challenge for, you know, those that have had a change, especially maybe senior athletes that have trained for so long with consistency, you know, having this for the past year and a half, you know, all of a sudden change what could have been eight, nine, 10 years of, you know, program training. And now you throw something into their training plan that's different. They're training somewhere else. They're training maybe under, different situations, whether they're, you know, competing at different times. So, you know, that could be something that may be disadvantageous versus a youth athlete that or a younger athlete that, you know, this is just something new. and We'll deal with that. We'll brush it off. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, I mean, I'm very interested to see what the results come this year and um, you know, I think we're going to learn a lot, um, especially from the sports science side, as we're, you know, tracking a bunch of these things that, you know, maybe there could be some positives, you know, athletes are resting longer, we're seeing better results. We saw a lot from the NFL, and I can't wait to some of the research comes out, um, the lack of preseason training, the lack of offseason training, there were substantially more injuries, non-contact soft tissue injuries, Achilles, hamstring tears, than there have been. I was looking at a graphic from Dr. Hansen, I think the only time it was close to these levels was the uh, lockout period, I think in 2011, which had a shortened preseason and training. So, you know, understanding that, you know, if we don't have enough preseason training for athletes in a sport, you know, combat sport like football, you know, is very detrimental. So, I mean, there, there will be hopefully some positive uh, stuff coming out of this too, that can help us understand implementation of training, you know, off season, in season, post season that, you know, although there's lots of negative things with COVID, you know, can we take the positive from this and you use it as a learning effect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't really thought about that, but you're absolutely right. The kind of like the injury side is also quite quite interesting. And as you mentioned, the NFL was a very unique case to, to see. And I remember having my fantasy team and all, uh, all my players <laughs> out of a sudden were gone. So um, I guess that we will we'll see some of that also in the Olympics. I hope that it, it's not as bad as uh, it was in the NFL, but and I also hope it's not... Uh, it doesn't really hurt on a athlete's performance. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. It's a unique time, unique, uh, unprecedented time for everyone, but in, in the sports world as well. And I feel it's going to be interesting, John. And since we're running out of time, I want to ask you a last question, a more practical question, maybe so that you can share with us kind of like your knowledge on a practical side of, of uh, athletes and wellness. So I guess that my question is, what is one habit that you've you recommend or you think that it's undervalued that people, athletes, uh, people that are, that are trying to get into a very healthy, you know, lifestyle should do more or they don't value enough. And why do you think it's important?
0: One thing I'd say, honestly, is just the intensity that you put into your training. Um, and it goes to every type of training. So, you know, whether you're doing conditioning, um, to improve your fitness, trying to get, you know, stronger, trying to increase your vertical jump, um, And even stuff like flexibility, mobility, um, you know, stuff just doesn't happen. Like we need to stress the body for the body to adapt. We also need to recover. And, you know, those are the important things that I think the harder you train, obviously the better results you're going to get. But on the other side, if you're not recovering just as hard, you know, making sure you're going to bed at the right time, getting enough sleep. So, I mean, that's generally another thing I've seen besides the character with elite athletes is they just go harder. I mean, every session, whether it's something I've seen, um, Minuscule, like a recovery session where we're focusing on, so what we call them correctives, but their um individual routines based on our functional movement screen with them. You know, putting the focus in that where it just seems like you're laying down, stretching, and you know these movements don't matter how we do it. What it actually does, if you actually put some intensity and effort into it, even though it's not a super fatiguing thing, you're going to start moving better. You start moving better, I can train you in better positions and increase your strength and better ranges of motion. Your knee's is not going to hurt as much. Now we're going to be able to do more plyometrics. It's going to help you jump. So, you know, everything's a snowball effect, but I'd say um, the ability to work hard, whatever you're doing and putting in that effort and intensity, I mean, it separates the difference between getting the results you want and it's sort of like a battery that's fully charged first, you know, charged 70%. You know, you can work as hard as you can at 70%, or you can work, you know, not even as hard as you can at hundred percent and still get better results than the 70%. So making sure you're recovered, and putting in that intensity. Um, So that's something I've I've probably seen for myself, personally, as an athlete going through stuff, but really, you know, and that goes across the board from elite athletes to young athletes is, you know, putting in that intensity, I think really drives your results.
1: Would you say it's more about training smart than training hard? Yeah, well, you should always train hard.
0: And I've used this analogy for our interns a lot, you know, work smart, not hard. In our field, you, you have to work hard but sometimes more is not always better. So that's the difference is, you know, you need to train hard to get the results, but, you know, doing a ton of stuff sometimes can be a detriment. And, you know, for our field, I mean, we call ourselves more sports performance and strength conditioning because we're focused on sport athletes. I don't, I don't train Olympic lifters, bodybuilders, power lifters. So, you know, what we do in the weight room is not their sport. And quite frankly, not a lot of them like it. I'm a strength coach and I really don't like lifting that much on my own. I do it because I have to, and it's sort of my job, but, um, you know, what we do with the athletes, we need to make sure that is increasing their performance. And, you know, we use the word or the phrase minimum effective dosage. So, you know, can we do the least of what we need to do to get the biggest result? And, you know, sometimes doing so much more substantially may only increase that, you know, Mm -hmm. extra athleticism, whatever that metric is a little bit. Well, can we just not do that and let them recover more and then perform better in their sport? So, you know, whatever we're doing, there needs to be intensity. Uh, but sometimes you know less is more it's just the intensity always needs to be there um, unless it is something that we're trying to get them to recover Uh, for our basketball guys left yesterday we had a recovery day they were sore from the past couple days of training so we did some foam rolling stretching and you know wanted to get them up and moving but you know they've done so many recovery workouts and it gets monotonous so we play dodgeball Um, it's enjoyable for me because I love to watch them just bash each other with football soccer balls and other things but when I was a client to our interns, too, I mean, you saw their faces. They were having fun. They had a good level of arousal in terms of, you know, psychologically having some intensity to it. They were moving upper body, lower body. So it was a nice finish to their um, workout, which seems like we're just playing games. But it was actually something that um, had better intensity, so to say, versus if I would have had them do, you know, a nice little jog dynamic warm up, which you know, would have been boring for them. So they would have brought that intensity. So sometimes as a coach, you know, finding ways to manipulate the variables where the athletes don't know what you're doing. But you still sort of bring the best out of them
1: that's absolutely fantastic john i want to thank you so much for your your time for your insights for everything you shared with us man you're a superstar of the training and performing side of sports uh i want to thank you again for coming to the half time snacks and being with us in this COVID time this pandemic you know social distancing and everything but man i believe you're doing a great job and keep it up with the great job on 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 uh, performance and everything you're doing at spire institute man you're an absolute inspiration before you leave i want to thank you for listening to hear this or any other half time snack check out the full archive on my website which you can find on the show notes see you next week